Good evening, saints. Seems in these troubled days that it's all the more precious to be together. So, very happy to be with you tonight. Always a joy and a privilege to unpack God's word for us. So, let's go to prayer and ask the Lord to bless the preaching and the hearing of the word. Let's pray. Lord, tonight, once again, we are thinking about living in the light of eternity, such an essential and yet often neglected perspective. When I think of that perspective, Lord, I think of the words of Asaph in Psalm 73, where he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, Lord? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Father, this is your word. We pray that you would bless it through your spirit, and make us men and women and boys and girls who look forward to glory with you more than anything, who can truly say there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you, and that know know you as the strength of our heart and our portion. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'm going to start with a little quiz tonight. It's real easy. Feel free to answer out loud if you know the answer. What do these have in common? American Idol, The Voice, The Masked Singer, America's Got Talent, and Dancing with the Stars. What do they have in common? They're talent shows. We love talent shows. We love to judge people according to their talents. And as we're about to see on the final day, Jesus will do the same thing. He will judge us according to our talents. So I'd invite you to pick up your Bibles and turn to Matthew 25. And we're going to read from verses 14 through 30. Matthew is a series of three parables that all have to do with the final day, the coming of Christ, being ready, and so on. So Matthew 25, verse 14. Often called the parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of these servants came And settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, 
You delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Living in the light of eternity, tonight, a pilgrim's talents. We're going to be considering about how to think about our talents while we're on pilgrimage, knowing that we're going to give an account to the Lord Jesus on the final day. So we're going to be considering four questions tonight. First of all, what are the talents that will be judged on? Secondly, what is the master like who will judge us? Third, how will we be judged according to our talents? And fourth, what will be the consequences? Now, before we get to those four questions, I want to just revisit real quickly what it means to be a pilgrim. The dictionary definition says a pilgrim is someone who journeys a long distance to a sacred place. That's not hard for us to fit ourselves into that. We're here, we're journeying long distance to heaven. Jason mentioned a couple weeks ago that Peter also calls us aliens and exiles, and the Bible often refers to us as sojourners, which has the same root as journey. So we are pilgrims on a long journey to heaven. But in this parable, things are switched just a little bit. It's not we who are on a journey in this parable. It's the master who's on a long journey and has entrusted his property to us to work with and make a profit while he's gone. So if we put this all together, as pilgrims journeying to heaven, we are servants of Christ entrusted with various talents to be used for the glory of God by serving others and according to which we will be judged. All right, let's look at our four questions. First of all, what are the talents that have been given to us? Well, in the Bible, a talent was a unit of money. In fact, a quite large unit of money. 
It was 20 years' wages for a common laborer. Someone figured that out in monetary figures for today, and a talent, according to this person, is about $600,000. So that means that the person who was given five talents was, was entrusted with $3 million. And the person with two talents was entrusted with about $1,200,000. That's a lot of money. But, as you know, we, we think of talents as far more varied than just money. Pastor Kevin this morning did an excellent job helping us think about how we invest and what we do with our, our, our possessions and our money. And that's part of it, but it's much more. We use the word talent today to mean any gifts, any abilities, any physical resources that God gives to us, along with the power and the opportunities to use them. So today, talents might include your natural abilities, abilities that you were born with. So maybe you were born with a very mathematical mind, unlike me. If you can believe this, I flunked arithmetic in second grade. That, that seems today almost like that would be a crime for a teacher to do that, but I did. And then just to make sure, I, I repeated that in high school and I flunked algebra two. So I do not have a mathematical mind. Maybe you, like John, had, were born with a natural ability for music. I did a little better on that. So there's your natural abilities that you're born with, but there's also your spiritual gifts. Those are gifts given to believers to, for the common good to exalt Jesus and help people. They're, it's a different category than natural abilities, but they often work together. So maybe you have the ability to communicate God's Word in a clear way. Or maybe you have the ability to come compassionately alongside someone and help them in time of great need. Another thing that belongs to our talents is the time we have. We all are given the same amount of time, but life circumstances dictate that some have more time than others, at least during different seasons of their life. As Kevin said, your bank account, your investments, your property are all part of your talents. Your married or single status is part of your talents. The church you attend, URC, the specific needs and opportunities here are part of your talents, as well as different ministry training opportunities or serving opportunities. Those, kind of a broad range of what we would include in the talents that have been given us. Now, I want you to notice three things about these talents. Number one, they are gifts of grace. Jesus said to one, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two, and to another, one. Talents are not accomplishments, and they're not rewards. That comes later. So there's no reason, if these are grace gifts, there's no reason or room to boast about your talents or to envy other people's talents or just to feel sorry for yourself. They are gracious gifts of God. Secondly, these talents are generously given to all believers, but they're not equally given to all believers. Jesus said he gave them each 
according to his ability. Not everyone is given the same amount or kind of gifts, possessions, opportunities, or even the fruit of their labor. The one was given five talents and he made five more. Other one was given two talents, he made two more. There's a difference there. Ultimately, that difference is decided by God's sovereign love and wisdom. Now, if we're honest, we often struggle with that. We balk at the idea that God distributes things differently. It seems unfair to us, but it's actually liberating. If God gives grace gifts according to his wisdom, his knowledge of what each person can handle and do, then I'm responsible only for the abilities and capabilities and opportunities that God has entrusted to me. Third thing about these talents. Although these first two men were given different amounts and produced different results, both the five-talenter and the two-talenter were both very excited to report to their master. There seems to have been no comparison, no envy, no self-pity. Although they had different amounts and produced different results, they both were commended by the master. They both were given further responsibilities and riches, and both experienced abundant joy. So that's a little bit about what the talents are. Second question, what is our master like? We know it's Jesus. What is his character like? And that becomes very important, doesn't it? Especially with the third person. So let me suggest several things that Jesus wants us to know about himself because he's going to be the one to judge us on the final day. First of all, he's not here in the flesh. That's clear in the story. He was on a long journey. We know that he's in heaven at the right hand of his father. But it's also clear he will be back. And though he's not here in the flesh, Jesus is still totally aware of everything that goes on. After all, he is the Son of God. He's the God-man. And he is present with us, not physically, but through the Spirit. And the point is, he knows everything that's happening. He knows everything we're doing or not doing. Nothing escapes his notice, either good or bad. Another thing that we need to know about Jesus is, he deals with each one of us in an intimately personal an infinitely wise way. He knows each one of us. We learn from John 10, he knows us by name. And he apportions his talents according to his infallible knowledge of our ability. That means no servant gets too many talents and no servant gets too few. It's kind of like Goldilocks. It's always just right. Third, and this is extremely important, if we're not going to be kind of intimidated and maybe even frightened by this parable, our master Jesus has actually set us up for success. Besides giving us exactly the resources that his wisdom determines is right, Jesus is confident in us 
and he's confident in our ability to make a profit. Now you might say, well, how do you know that? that that's not really in the text. It's not there explicitly, but I think it's implied by the whole mood of this parable. There's just no hint that Jesus was the slightest bit worried that his servants would fail if they used the talents they were given. Success seems to be built into the entire enterprise. Notice the mood when he settles accounts with the first two servants. It's completely positive. It's even joyful. He anticipates their success. He welcomes them. They seem excited to come and share. Everybody's excited to share what happened. In verse 20, the five-talent guy says, Look, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, here, see what I've made, five more. Same thing in verse 22. The two-talent guy says, Master, you gave me two talents. Here, see, I've made two talents more. That word here is the same as saying, look, look, Master, see what I did. It's kind of like my five-year-old and three-year-old grandchildren who live next door and they come, might come up to me and say, Papa, look at what I drew. Look at what I did. And I'm always very excited. It's a joyful mood. This is important that we know what Jesus is like and how he's not only desiring us to be successful in the, with the talents he's given us, but he set us up for success. Because the third guy didn't believe the master was good. He didn't believe that he was set up for success. In fact, he thought the master was, was, uh, was, was a hard man. He was merciless, and he was afraid, and that got him into all kinds of trouble. He said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. He was thinking unworthy thoughts about Jesus. Do you ever think unworthy thoughts about Jesus? Several weeks, maybe even a couple months ago, I was driving to church for the evening service. And on the way here, I was just having a good time of prayer, talking to the Lord, praising the Father for his great goodness. But somehow I felt convicted. And I, I confessed it, even with some emotion. Lord Jesus, I've been guilty of thinking unworthy thoughts about you. And if we do, it's going to influence what we do or what we don't do. Despite what the one talenter said about Jesus, he is not hard and merciless. Everyone who trusts him and everyone who engages faithfully with the grace gifts that he's given us is a winner. That's the way he set it up. Fourth thing about Jesus, he does require and expect diligent and faithful service. It's wonderfully true that the master is generous and good and sets us up for success, but he does not tolerate fearful or lazy disobedience. When the one-talent servant confessed that he fearfully hid his talent in the ground, the master did not ask him how he felt about that. He did not ask him what, what made it hard 
to trade with that talent. He severely condemned him. He said, you wicked and lazy servant, you should have at least invested the talent with the bankers and you would have made me some interest. I think we're to learn from that that, that, that Jesus is kind, but he's not compromising. He's caring, but he's not coddling. Failure is not an option when the failure is due to faithless disobedience. Jesus guarantees success, reward, and joy when we step out with even mustard seed trust and obedience. Again, he doesn't even seem to envision the possibility of failure. But for those who refuse to trust and to try, there is a frightening fate of condemnation, loss, and misery. Third question How will we be judged? Well, let's talk about how we can know that we'll be judged fair, uh, favorably. First, we will be judged favorably if we humbly receive the grace gifts that the Lord has given us. Humbly receive them. No sense of entitlement. I deserve more than this. How come I don't have what he has or she has? No envy of others' gifts or opportunities or the fruit that they might bear in their, in their life and ministry. No pride, either in the sense of haughtiness or of self-pity. Here's how Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 4. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So if we want to be judged favorably, we need to beware all boasting, all envy, all comparing, and complaining. Here's what it might sound like in a prayer to humbly receive Christ's gifts. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for living and dying and rising again from the dead for me. Thank you for the life and the freedom and the many undeserved gifts and opportunities you've given me. Lord Jesus, to know you and to serve you is the greatest privilege and joy I have. That's what it might sound like to receive humbly those gifts. We will also be judged favorably if we faithfully use the gifts entrusted to you for God's glory and for the good of others. But how easy it is for us to sort of default to the idea that, that the Lord's gifts are actually ours and we can do whatever we want with them. Years ago when I was teaching at Lansing Christian, I was teaching senior Bible. And we were studying the book of Amos, which famously begins, the Lord roars from Zion. The Lord was not happy with his people. They were very affluent. They were successful. They were prosperous. They were also lazy, self-indulgent, not caring about the needs of the poor and actually oppressing them. And we talked about the Lord's attitude, again, towards what he's given us. And as we talked, 
it became clear that my seniors, good American Christians, believed that as long as I give 10% tithe, then that 90% left over is mine, and I can do whatever I want with it. And so we talked about questions like, can you pursue a life of comfort and follow Jesus at the same time? And I remember it getting very personal with, with my dear senior girls. And the question came up, girls, how many pair of shoes do you really need? Talked about hard things. But the idea was, hey, I've given my tithe. The 90% is mine. I can do what I want with it. No, we are stewards. We are managers of all we have. And we're going to give an account of what we do with what he's given us. We may temporarily possess, but God actually owns all that we have and all that we are. So here's where this perspective of living in the light of eternity is so necessary and so helpful. Here's how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 7. This is countercultural but a necessary perspective. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as if they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they, were, they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. That's an eternal perspective. That gives us a context for thinking about what to do with what we've been given while we're on pilgrimage. Recognize that this whole world and all that is in it is already passing away. It's already becoming obsolete. So if you want to be judged favorably, hold on to the gifts that God's given you lightly. Be free. Be generous with them. Some of those gifts he may take at some point. Hold on to them lightly, but hold on to his son tightly. Finally, we will be judged favorably if we confidently seize opportunities to serve others. Confidently, Jesus has set us up for success serve others. We have opportunities all day long. This is the purpose for being given gifts and talents. The things that God gives us are not meant to increase our self-esteem. They're not meant to make us the best version of ourselves or, or to self-actualize or like the Tower of Babel. They're not given to us so we can make a name for ourselves. Rather, they are given to us so that we use them and end up being honored with true greatness like Jesus. And Jesus said in Matthew 20, Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. <clears throat> Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul said it this way in Galatians 5. 
You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that's trying to unpack a little bit how we will be judged according to what we do with our talents. Finally, what are the eternal consequences? And just want to stress, they are eternal consequences. The stakes are high for how we use or don't use our talents. Depending on whether you live as a pilgrim, as a servant, in the light of eternity, you will receive from Jesus either his commendation or his condemnation. To some who have been faithful, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. How often do you think about those words? Well done, good and faithful servant. The older I get, the more I think about them. To think about being recognized by Jesus, commended, praised for faithfulness, and then welcomed into his joy. Can you imagine the giant sigh of relief and joy and peace that will fulfill, that will fill your soul for all eternity? Hearing those words is the ultimate reward. There's, there's nothing better than you can imagine than hearing Jesus say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's the only sufficient motivation for your life. But for those who don't, who refuse to trust, who give in to fear or laziness, the words, you wicked and slothful servant. In the same chapter of Matthew 25, in a different parable, Jesus says to some on the last day, I don't know you. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 7, he says to some people on the last day, I never knew you. That's frightening. How could it be that the one who knows all things would say, I don't know you? So depending on what we do with our talents, condemnation or commendation. Secondly, depending on what, whether we live as a pilgrim in the light of eternity, we'll, we will either receive increased resources and responsibility. You've been faithful in a little. I'm going to set you over much or the loss of literally everything. To one, he says, or to the two first talenters, he says, you've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. And then he says, take the talent from him, the one talenter who hid it in the ground, and give it to the one who, who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. See, the reward of serving Jesus faithfully is increased opportunities to serve him faithfully with more resources. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from him. Eternal loss. And finally, depending on whether we live as pilgrims in the light of eternity, we will either be welcomed into eternal joy with Jesus or eternal misery away from him. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful in a little. I will set you over much. And then he says this. Enter into the joy of your master. Notice he didn't just say, enter into the joy of heaven. That would have been great. He said, enter into the joy of your master. Enter into my joy. How much joy is there in Jesus? Jesus has infinite, immeasurable, and unfathomable joy in his Father, in the Spirit, and in his bride. He's saying, come on in and experience how happy I am. That's amazing. And then to the other, he says, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a hard word. It's a fearful word. It's a sobering word, and, and we should hear it. But I don't want to end on a, on a fearful note. Remember, brothers and sisters, Jesus, it doesn't need to end that way. Jesus has, has made every provision for your successful trading and working with the talents and gifts and abilities and resources he's given you. He's anticipating, he's desiring, and he's done everything possible to make it possible for you to be rewarded. He came from heaven. He lived the perfect life you were to live. He suffered in your place. He died the cursed death that you deserve, that I deserve. He rose triumphantly. He ascended to heaven. He gave gifts to us through the Holy Spirit. He's interceding for us every moment, and he's coming back. If you trust in his goodness, use what he's given you, you will be commended. Well done, good and faithful servant. You will be rewarded. I will set you over much, and you will be filled with joy. Enter into the joy of your master. Let me just end with two more very practical, brief questions. How do we, what might we think about this week in light of this parable? Well, the first question is, we said one of the, one of the aspects or parts of your talents is your time. So how are you using your time? Now, I recognize this is a dangerous question. There are some of you who, from the moment the alarm clock rings till the moment you fall exhausted into bed, you are busy. You don't even have five minutes hardly to breathe. You need to just tune me out for a minute or two, okay? I know you don't need more exhortations to be busy. But that's not true for everybody. Here's something you might want to try this week. I, I read this in an article years ago. I've used it with my counseling trainees. And sometimes it's very illuminating. Maybe you have, like I do, a, a weekly planner. Or you can just download them. On, uh, just Google weekly planner. You know, you got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and all the hours of each day. Take one of those weekly planners this week and fill it in, maybe from your last week or a typical week. Fill it in all day long, every day, and just see what you see. Sometimes it's shocking. I, I, I had one counseling trainee years ago say, I mean, I, I, I had to catch my breath. It was so shocking how much time I was wasting. It's probably not going to be that bad 
We're a pretty busy church, but maybe you'll find out pockets of time where you're not investing that time as well as you could. We're not talking about never being able to have any downtime or recreation. That's not it at all. But God has given us time, and sometimes we're not using that as well as we could. The second question is, how are you using your natural abilities and spiritual gifts? Maybe you have that mathematical mind, and maybe you could help someone with their budget, or maybe you have practical, hands-on kinds of skills. Again, I, I didn't get those, okay? Um, and you could help people with in practical ways. Or maybe you have spiritual gifts. Maybe it's time to think about discipling someone or, or starting a Bible study or a small group. Or maybe your family, um, you have a nice home, your, your, your family's intact, your kids are reasonably not crazy, and you could exercise hospitality and invite people into that. So how are you using your natural abilities, and your spiritual gifts. Do you know what you're good at? There's nothing prideful about that. God has given all of us natural abilities and spiritual gifts. If you're not sure, some people think, well, I'm not good at anything. That's not true. Ask somebody. Secondly, when you think about your spiritual gifts, I remember reading an article by John Piper years ago that was really helpful for me to think about what is a spiritual gift. He says, how do you naturally express your faith and how do you naturally desire to serve others? That's probably where your spiritual gifts lie. So think about that. And then finally, who needs your help? Who needs your help this week? So how are you using your time? How are you using your natural abilities and spiritual gifts? And who needs your help? Let me close with a, a quote from a uh, New Testament commentator named William Hendrickson. He says this about the parable. The man who through diligent use of the opportunities for service has by divine grace surrendered himself to the Lord to love and help others and who in doing so has enriched himself shall by continuing in this course become more and more abundantly rich. That's a good thing. Let's pray. Lord, we want to respond to Jesus' parable in faith. We don't want to slough it off. We don't want to be paralyzed in fear. What if I'm not doing enough? So Lord, I pray that you'd remind us, even as we sing this last him, all that you have done for us, all that you have given us, all that you have promised us in your steadfast love and faithful grace, that we would be so full of joy and thanksgiving and so aware of the abundant gifts that you've given us that we don't deserve, that we would be eager, we'd be looking around, how can I serve you, Lord? How can I use my time, my abilities, my gifts, my, my status, my home? How can I use that to bring you glory? How can I use that to bless brothers and sisters? For Lord, that is the way of freedom. That is the way of joy. And that is the way that we can confidently anticipate the final day 
and look forward to hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. And we pray all these things in the name of our King, our Master, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.